Praise God. You know, I, I want to encourage you. I'm glad y'all came tonight. Uh, don't forsake me. Okay? Stay with me. Keep coming. I believe God is about to do some really big things. Um, and so, like I said, I, I don't know how we're going to how we're going to do this. I, 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 this is not going to be just your normal uh, church service kind of thing. I don't want y'all just to, I don't want the worship team just to sing some songs and me to preach a message and y'all to go home. Uh, I, I want it to be life changing. And I know if y'all are hungry and you draw on the anointing, that God's going to do it. But I can't do it without y'all. I got to have you. So look at the person beside you and say, he's got to have you. And so honestly, I don't even have any notes, okay, because I'm just totally 100% depending on what the Holy Ghost wants to do and how we're going to follow and follow this. But there's a few things I do know I want to say. First thing is, is somebody, I don't remember who it was, somebody um, sent me a, a note on New Year's and they said, welcome to the Roaring Twenties. That was the little deal, welcome to the Roaring Twenties, you know, and I hadn't thought about that. You know, uh, the, being the 20s and saying it like that. And so it made me start to think back about 100 years ago. And it, it made me start to think, okay, where were we 100 years ago? You know, uh, the roaring 20s, all the things going on with Prohibition, uh, the Great Depression, uh, you know, this, that, and the other. But in the midst of all of that, and to some of you, you may know this, some of you may not, okay? It's like, let me back up just a second. Remind me to get back on the 20s. Um, it's like, you know, it's very possible for there to be somebody that was in Jerusalem when Jesus was being crucified and didn't know what was going on. It could have been a person that was busy with their business, just got a market open and just got it started. And they're going on just trying to figure out how they're going to make money. And they're trying to get, I don't know, just give me this. one. they're trying to get vegetables in or something. I don't know, you know. And they're, they're, they're trying to get their vegetable market going and or, 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 or spices. And they're trying to get them all imported. And they're trying to get in. Their, their shipment from Egypt didn't come in. And they're trying to do all this stuff and, and, and busy and just like that. And didn't know Jesus was walking down the Villa Dorosa. Didn't know he was going to the cross. Didn't know anything about that, all right? You say, well, how do you know that? Well, over in Ephesians uh, 19, when Paul was in Ephesus and he met those people on the road, they, he, they, he said, you know, basically, how'd you get saved? And they said, what are you talking about? You know, we hadn't even heard of Jesus, so much less the Holy Ghost, right? And he said, well, what, did what happened? He said, we heard of, of John the Baptist. So in other words, these people were dedicated people serving the Lord, but only under the revelation of the repentance that John the Baptist had taught, they didn't know that Jesus had come, didn't know he had died, didn't know there was a resurrection, didn't know there was a Holy Ghost, didn't know there was a Pentecost. They didn't know anything going on, but they were seeking the Lord. So my point is, back to there, in the 20s, there was the bad things going on economically, all these other things were happening, but there was also a great revival going on. And it started really, if you go back and you, you do a lot of research on it, don't hold me to my dates, uh, but in the late 1800s, there was a man named Alexander Dewey who started Zion City in Illinois, and he had a great healing movement going on. And he started a whole church organization, and, and, it, and out of that, you know, a bunch of things spread. And then around the 20s, there was a man named F.F. F. Bosworth, and he wrote a book, which, and some of the stuff I'll quote from you out of that book 
and I've ordered like 30 copies of it so everybody can get one and read it. It was first printed in the 20s. And so he came around in the roaring 20s, and he was a man of God who preached and everything, but he got on talking about uh, divine healing. And so he, they preached, saw many miracles, many things going on. And so out of that then came a man named E.W. Kenyon. And Kenyon was in the late 30s, early, mid-40s, somewhere along in there. And he was a missionary and a great preacher, and he started off. And right at the same time, there was another man named John G. Lake. And Lake was a man, he was a businessman. And, and uh, at that time, people were dying of influenza. And uh, his family began to get sick, and his family members began to die. And he was a Christian. He loved Jesus. But there was no teaching in his area on divine healing where he was being raised up in, I think it was actually Chicago. And uh, he was, there was no teaching. And so his family members started dying off. And one night he fell down on his face and he began to cry out to God. He began to say, God, I know it. I can read it. It's in the, I don't understand. I can see it in the Bible. But what's going on? And he cried out and he cried out and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And I think he was a banker, actually. And through all of that, God gave him a revelation and he rose up. He went to this, he was a very prominent banker, uh, made a lot of money, uh, you know, had everything except the ability to help his family members get healed. And he got this revelation, and he began to go off, and he ended up starting missions in Africa, ended up coming back from Africa through all the teachings and everything that had gone on, all the miracles that he saw take place. He went up into uh, Washington uh, State, started a healing school there. They had over 100,000 documented healings. He actually had doctors, medical doctors, on staff, that they would, a patient would come in to the healing center. He would document what they had wrong with them. He would have the doctors go over them, look at them completely, check it out, verify it. One doctor verifying another one so that it was all medically down. And then they would, he would pray for them, and then they would be healed. And if they weren't healed, they would stay in the healing school, stay there for however long they needed until they finally caught all the revelation divine healing, and they would be healed. And then he would have the doctors go, do them again, do another physical exam on them, show that they were totally healed and had the, you know, in and out on everybody. Okay? So healing, divine healing is not something that's new, definitely not due to America. It's not new. We've had, they've had massive healings. Hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands of people have been miraculously healed by grabbing hold of the revelation of what's in the Word of God. But what's happened is, which is what I want to start with, to get it is that doubt has crept into the church. And the seed of doubt grew into the church. and It came in through pastors that taught that God's putting sickness on you because He's punishing you or you're a sinner and sickness is coming upon you and all this kind of stuff. And it came in. And so for years and years and years, the church has taught doubt and unbelief. And I'm talking about... I'm not talking about this church or picking out a denomination. I'm just saying across the board, churches have taught doubt and unbelief. And so the seed of doubt stronger than the seed of faith. And so what happens is, is that the seed of doubt is stronger, it's always going to prevail. And people have preached this and preached this and preached this and preached this until finally it got to be a, like a dirty word talking about divine healing. You were like a snake handler. You were like a full-fledged, wacky Pentecostal if you were talking about divine healing or praying for the sick or whatever. 
Now, in my own life, in my own experience, you know, uh, in my earlier days, when I was young and had black hair, and God let me travel around the world, and I, I, saw, I saw mass miracles, you know? Uh, I'll go into it more in detail later, but, you know, I mean, I was in Romania where, where uh, man, there was every reason for God not to move. I was talking about this with my wife this morning. There was absolutely every reason for God not to move. It was a gypsy church. The people, we had to go through five translators in order to preach. It was ridiculous. I would just, anything I said, I would say, good morning. And then so they translated from English to the only guy that could understand English was, he could speak Bulgarian, but he couldn't speak the dialect that the people spoke. So I would say, good morning, how are you? Then he would go from English to Bulgarian. Then he had a guy that understood Bulgarian, but he couldn't speak the exact dialect he was. So he would speak the next dialect that they were speaking there in the Romanian. And then the Romanian pastor would then translate it from Romanian to the gypsy language that these people can understand. It was ridiculous. You couldn't speak. You, there was no way you could preach. I mean, I'm trying to f- preach, and, and these guys were just like, literally, this is what it sounded like. I'd say, praise the Lord. How is everybody this morning? And this guy say, and the next guy say, I mean, it was just dead language. It was like, fell right off the pulpit. I mean, it was like, how are we going to get anywhere? And one of the guys didn't like me. Imagine that. And so he, I don't even know what he was translating, okay? He didn't like me. He told me before, yeah, I don't like Americans. I don't like Americans at all. And so, so there was nothing there. There was no excitement in the church. There was no anointing in the church. There was no worship music. There was no presence of God. I, I was standing just before people, and everyone had, a, had literally looked exactly like gypsies. They all had a do-rag on. You know, all I could think about was anything I'd ever heard about gypsies are going to steal my wallet. You know, I was trying to get my wallet in my front pocket. You know, I wasn't in faith. I, I was mad. I wasn't mad. I was uh, felt chided because there was five preachers and we started going by the churches and there was these huge churches and everybody's in there dancing and worshiping and throwing up their hands and, 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 and they let one preacher off there and then they kept going and I and it kept going. And then I ended up down at the far end of the dirt roads, you know, in this little gypsy church with about 50 people, and, and so I was a little shy, felt like, you know, yeah, I threw the old country boy out down here, you know, they wouldn't let me have the big church up there, and so there were some, you know, things going on in my own heart, and I've told you all this story before, but, you know, and, and, and so I finally got tired, I said, I don't know what to do, I said, just give me some sick people, let me pray for them, and they all just looked at me, they'd never done it, they never prayed for the sick, and so I said, anybody in here that's sick, come up over here, line up, and I'll pray for you, Jesus will heal you. Can you get that across? Blah, 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 So I just go sit down, and I'm so disappointed, so discouraged. You know, I, was, I wanted to be the flaming evangelist going around the world, and I can't, you know, gather up but 50 gypsies here, you know, and they don't even look like they like me. They're going to cut me here in a minute. And so it's just going downhill from there. All my expectations are all shot. I'm standing there. I look over, and there's about five or six people lined up. And I was like, this is it? I mean, I can't get a crowd. I can't even get, I mean, there ain't no more sick people in this in town. I mean, come on. And so the first lady I walk up to, I'll never forget it. I walk right up to her. She was a small lady. I could, I could sketch, get a sketch artist. I could tell you exactly what she looked like. You know, she was a plump little lady, older, and, and, and she's just there. And I just went up there to her, and I put my hand on her shoulder, and I looked at the translator, and I said, what does she want? And he just looks at me, and he looks back, and he says, she's blind. 
And I looked at the lady and I was like, holy cow. I mean, this woman is not just like has on dark sunglasses. I mean, she has no color in her eyeballs. And I'm like, I'm stunned. I'm like, wow, couldn't I get like a runny nose here or something lesser? I mean, oh my God, I have a a wide-eyed lady in front of me. And she's just standing there, you know? And so I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I never forget. I don't know why I did it. (laughs) I guess just panic. I just, I knelt down on the floor on one knee. I took the lady's hand and I said, Oh, Jesus. I knew it wouldn't get translated, but I was not saying, oh, Jesus, heal the lady. I was saying, oh, Jesus. Why do I have a blind lady in front of me? Oh, God. This is my attitude. The lady just jerked out of my hand and ran off. And so I'm like, what happened? And so I'm like, oh, God, you know, this is horrible. This is horrible, Lord. I feel so terrible. Oh, my gosh, I feel so terrible. So I go to the next lady. I get to the next person. He's, he's, he's got this, uh, this little girl, and she says, I want you to pray for the little girl. And I said, what's wrong with the little girl? She said, well, she, just, her leg's messed up. She can't walk. And I was like, oh, God. You know, it's a little better than blind eyes. But, and I did the same thing. I just knelt down beside her. I had hold of her hand, and I said, oh, Jesus. Lady jerks the child out of my hand, runs out of the church. So I've got nothing but two O-Jesuses out. Nothing's there. Get to the third one. Finally, I got down to somebody. It looked like they had an infected cut. I was like, okay, man, I can get into this one, you know? And so I really prayed for that person, you know, like all the faith I could muster up. Still in the back of my mind wondering, why did that, why did this, has this happening? So then the pastor wanted me to go baptize. He wanted me, he was insistent that I baptize. I said, look, it's not my job. I'm the, I'm the, the guest speaker. I do not want to go baptize. Man, we're talking about out in the you know, the Danube River or something. This thing's got ice floating by. It's freezing cold. I'm dressed in nothing. I got my cowboy boots on and my blue jeans. And, 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 and I, how am I going to go baptize? I don't want to be wet. I'm like five hours back to my hotel room. I'm like, I don't want to go get wet. And so I'm walk, talking everywhere in the world out of this. I tell the guys, it's not custom that the guest speaker would be out there baptizing. And they just were in, they would not even listen to me. And I was with a doctor of a university, uh, Dr. Brassfield, who was the 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 chancellor of the university. And so he's laughing the whole time. The whole time they're bringing up offerings of chocolate. Okay. And he's eating it, laughing at me having to go out into the river. <laughs> and so I, I, I said, well, I'm not going to go down there in my boots, you know? So I just prayed and said, Oh God, let the bottom of the water in the river be like sand or something. Cause I got real tender feet. And I said, I don't want to go walking out in the water. You know, and the, I get out there. It's like rock, you know, like, like, about two-inch round rock in the whole thing. So I hobble out. Oh, God, it's freezing. It's freezing. And I get out there in the water, and I'm miffed about this whole situation. I don't think I should be here. Dr. Brassfield's up on the bank eating all the chocolate, laughing at me. Get through. We baptize, I don't know, 10, 15 people. And then we walk up, and now I'm all wet. And I'm just dripping everywhere, and I'm trying to get my boots on and my socks over my wet feet, and water's everywhere, and I'm just disgusted with the whole situation. We walk over this little embankment. We go down into this uh, center part of town just to get back over to where the church was. We're walking through there. There's a crowd of people. I said, why are these people out here? I'm saying a crowd, 200 people in this little... This town wasn't very big. Like 200 people out there. We walk in on a little crowd, people... 
People start grabbing me. They start, you know, accosting me. I'm like, what? What is going on? And I look, and just about from me to Nick is that blind lady with the white eyes, you know. And she's standing there, and she has two eyeballs. And I freak. I mean, oh, yeah. There's no faith in this Vobness thing. I'm freaking. And so I said to the pastor, I says, is that the lady? He says, yes. He says, this guy had no emotion. Yes. I said, what happened? He says, she went and told everybody in town. And this is everybody in town that wants you to pray for them. I'm like, what? So I look over, and there's a lady. She's smiling real big, got her little girl beside her, and the little girl's dancing. And I'm like, she, she's healed? I mean, I said, oh, Jesus. And she's healed? And folks, all I can say to you is that at that moment in time, it was as if time stopped for me. And I felt like, I felt like, I'm talking about just emotionally felt, like someone had put a bubble, like, like a big giant Pyrex clear dish had just got put over the top of all of us. And I was in a different element. And they brought a little boy who had never walked. Dr. Brassfield was holding me. I said, what's wrong with him? And he's laughing. I was telling my wife about this morning. I thought it was so strange. He's laughing. He's laughing the whole time. He's just like Santa Claus with this giddy, ho, ho, ho laughing. And uh, so I couldn't figure out why he was laughing all the time. And uh, I, I'm, I'm Mr. Serious now. I'm like, holy cow, miracles are taking place. This is like we read in the book of Acts. Oh, my God, we've got to do something. We've got to organize something. God probably wants to build a church here. I'm like Peter saying, it's very good to be here. Let's build a tabernacle right here. I mean, what are we doing? In a, everybody get on your knees and let's worship and sing, oh, how great thou art, or something, you know. My mind is just racing. I don't know what to do. I've never seen anything like this. This little boy, he was holding me, and he says, this one can't walk either. He's laughing. <laughs> he can't walk. I'm like, what? And so I reached over there. I laid my hands on him, and I said, Father, I just healed in Jesus' name. And he said, and he, I remember him sitting there. He's chuckling and laughing. He says, put him down, and let's see if, we can, if he can run. And I'm like, what? The kid, I just felt his leg was just mush. And he set that little kid down, just took off running. Hallelujah. And it started being like that. Every person that came up, it was, I knew it had nothing to do with my faith. I knew it had nothing to do with anything. There was nothing there. It was a miracle. It was God's gift of the Spirit in operation. Miracles are taking place. There was nothing. There was nothing that a person could have done. I really believe to stop it, because I'm telling you 100%, those people weren't in faith. It was a gift of God. It was a spirit just at that moment of time. Now, after that, I was, after that, we laid hands on people, saw all these miracles, saw all these signs and wonders happening, and the next thing I knew, they got me by the arm, they're rushing me to the car. I said, what are you talking about? We're going to stay here. I was ready to spend my life there. I mean, literally, that's what I thought. I have got to spend my life right here. God has done something, and I want to see it continue on or whatever, and I was ushered to the car in my wet boots and thrown in the car and taken back to the hotel, and I never know what happened since then. But I got to think about it this morning. I, just because I don't know what happened. Doesn't mean what? That God knows what's happened. And I don't know when we get to heaven what we'll see that came about from that day. My point is, you can't do anything about that. Because I can tell you there was not a worshipful spirit in that church. 
I'm not saying that the people weren't saved or anything like that. I'm just saying it was not anything like you would think. There was not the holy, you know, gold wasn't falling from the ceilings and doves flying around. And, and it was this, you know, environment you were just sitting there seeing with your everything tingling. I mean, it wasn't, it was rough. And then when we went to town, those people, they weren't, they weren't worshipful. They weren't, I mean, it, it's just a hard thing to explain. So sometimes we get in our mind that we have to be in this perfect environment, this perfect situation. It has to be just right. The, just, the right song has to be sung. The, this has to be just perfect. Oh, gosh, you know, it would have been really good, if, but the temperature was a little off, you know. I'm just saying when God moves like that, God moves, and there's just all you can do is go with the wave. All right? But that's a gift of the Spirit. The Bible's distinct. There's two different things. It's obvious, and I want to show you all through this, through this whole deal. I mean, I'm just taking it very slow. We're going to go through it. But all throughout the Bible, you can see that Jesus paid for the redemption of our sin and our sickness on the cross. That's a, that's a benefit for every believer. Just like you can be forgiven of your sin, you can be redeemed from the curse that's in this world of sickness, poverty, anything. Through the blood of Jesus. But you're not going to have that happen in your life based on your faith if you're full of doubt. Let me read something to you. This is out of, um, from F.F. Um, F. Bosworth. He says, people can have steadfast faith for healing of their body. They must rid they must be rid of all uncertainty concerning God's will in the matter. Appropriating faith cannot go beyond one's knowledge of the revealed will of God. In other words, you can't have faith for something that you have no revelation about. Now, let me tell you another funny story. So, 18 years ago, a man gave me a drill press, really nice, cast iron, Sears Craftsman, standing upright, heavy-duty drill press. Gave it to me eight, 18 years ago, all right? And so I put it in my shop, and it worked for about six months, and it quit working. And so it has sat for 17 and a half years in my shop. Every once in a while I go by, try to make it work, won't work. So the other day, every time I need a drill press, I just give up and go get a drill. I look at the drill press. It sits in my, my shop. I look at it and think, oh, I wish that thing worked. I go get a drill, and I attempt to drill a hole. Okay? Now, I got caught the other day because I was needing to drill some very precise holes. And you just, it's just a hard thing to do with just a hand drill. And not only was it a hard thing to do, I had to drill about, about 50 holes. And so, like, I needed a drill press. So I got mad, which I tend to do often, and get strong-headed and hard-headed and bull-headed, and I said, I'm just going to go buy a new drill press. So I take off on an adventure Monday to go get a new drill press. So I drive from here to San Antonio and can't find a drill press. I find some but they're just like tinker toys to this beast I have in my shop, but it didn't work. 
So I decide after, after through fighting through traffic, through everything going on, that I have missed God, and I'm going home. So I just turn the truck around, and I come home. Come home, I eat lunch, told my wife, I'm going to go up, and me and the Holy Ghost, we're going to fix that drill press. So I don't know what to do, so I decided I'll start with the switch. Sounds good, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Now, David, being the electrician over here, gets at me because he knows how I test things. You know, I just stick a screwdriver in the plug to see if it's hot. So he's always been after me about this. And so I unscrew it. And as I'm pulling it out, the lead touches the side of the deal. Sparks fly everywhere. I said, man, I should have unplugged it. (laughs) (laughs) The good news, it does have juice. So I unplug it. I get the switch out, I look at it, some dirt daubers in there, blow them all off. Look, it didn't look like a fried anything. I get to tracing the wires around, find out that there was a, from the switch, there was a wire that went, and it had a plug on the end of it. And then there was a, the motor had a plug that came up in there, and they plugged together. And the plug was no good. It had just fallen apart. It had just gotten old and corroded, and the little deals, it wasn't even, it wasn't even hooked up. So then I get the bright idea, I said, you know what? The motor, I think, has run, so I stretched that cord off the motor up through the deal and bring it around over there, and I thought, well, I'm going to plug this baby in. So I plug it in, nothing happens. And I thought, hmm. And I thought, you know what? Holy Ghost says, check the breaker box. So I went over the breaker box. Sure enough, I blew the breaker switch, so I flipped it back on. I got juice now. So I stuck her in there. The motor just started to spin. I said, hot dog, motor works right here. So I go get me. I had all the tools, all the pieces I needed. I hook it up, hook me another cord in there, plug that baby in there, put that switch all back in there, put it on. Motor just runs and stops. Hmm. Okay. So I do the next best thing. I get a hammer. (laughs) And I hit the motor. And then I feel around and there's a reset button. So I push it and I heard it click. Hey. Turn the switch on, thing just goes on, spins, shuts off. I said, I'm not going to be beaten today. I'm going to figure this thing out. So I said, I'm going to tear that motor apart. I've never taken a motor apart in my life, but by God, I decided I'm going to tear this one apart. So I take it all off the bracket, unplug it, take it all off the bracket, (laughs) pull this thing out of here. Hmm. Said, there's some little bolts right here. I think I'll see if I can take one of those off. So. For long, I have got this whole motor apart. I've got it pulled apart. I got pieces everywhere. I look in there. I don't know. You may have to help me out on this. So, so on the on the shaft, there's some little fins. I don't know what you call those little fins. The centrifugal switch is completely covered by dirt daubers. They have just mudded that whole thing up where they won't work. So I go, I get the screwdriver, I start cleaning the mud out, I get me a little brush, I clean them all out, I get it all cleaned up, get the thing, move them, and they work. I said, hot dog, I'm blowing all this stuff off. Look down there, there's another big dirt dauber nest, pull that thing out, work this whole thing over, now I got to get it back together. <laughs> so I didn't pay a lot of attention when I took it apart because it kind of came apart like, <laughs> and so I was like, okay. 
So I start looking, and so I look at the little barons in there, and I can get it all in there. I get me some grease. I put on the barons. I get all this stuff going in. I'll get it in there. So I'm getting it back together, and it just won't quite go together. And so I take it apart one more time to look and see. Yeah, yeah, I think I put a little more grease here. Put it back together. It just won't quite go together. So I do the next best thing. I get the hammer. <laughs> so I wrap the end of that shaft, and that thing went together. And so, man, I get in there, and I get that thing all bolted back up. And, I, man, I'm so impressed with myself, you know, and I get this thing on. I said, oh, Jesus, man, this is great to see if this thing works. Put that baby on there. And so after I drilled 50 holes with it, because it sucker worked perfect, I said to myself, isn't this interesting? 18 years this thing has sat, but I never took the time to go through to find out how does it work. How many Christians have sat around with their Bibles and their Bible studies and their church attendance and their, their devotionals and their whatever, but never took apart divine healing to see what the promise really is for each and every one of us? gone through the scriptures to where you could say that you could cast all doubt and unbelief out of your heart because you knew what the word said about that matter. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to take this baby apart piece by piece, screw by screw, and we're going to tear it apart until inside of each and every one of y'all is driven out all the doubt and unbelief that could have ever been sowed in you. Now let's look at a scripture. Go to, uh, let's go to, okay, Mark chapter 4. I want to go to Luke 8, but Holy Ghost says Mark 4. So we're going to Mark 4. I'm just going to start reading verse 1. And, it, and he... And again, he began to teach by the sea. A great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into the boat and sat on it, sat on it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And he taught them many things by parables. And he said unto them in his teaching, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and they devoured it. And some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. And when the sun was out and scorched, because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked, and it yielded no crop. And other seeds fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, produced some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, and those around him, the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Okay, so he's making a very strong point here that if we don't get this understanding of this revelation of this parable and what God is trying to say here and taking place, we're not going to understand how the kingdom of God is operating throughout any of the other stories he tells, right? So it's pretty imperative that we grab hold of this. 
14. The sower sows the word. Okay? The sower sows the word. When Jesus went to Nazareth and he couldn't get anybody but a few sick folks healed around there, he saw there was no faith. The Bible says he began to go in a circuit preaching and teaching. What was he doing? He was sowing the word. He was trying to get the people's faith up, so he was sowing the word over and over, telling them what the kingdom of God was all about. He was, t- he was preaching and preaching and pre- telling them what was going on so that they could grab hold of a revelation so then he could see miracles take place. These are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately to take away the word that was sown in their hearts. So where's the word being sown? So you're hearing it with your ear, but if it's sown properly, it's going into your heart. Right? How many of you have ever heard something? Somebody told you something or something was said and you heard something and then you, you started to think about it and then you, you begin to act on it and then you later find out it's not right. And you were kind of like, oh man, shouldn't have listened to them. Okay, well, what happened? A word got sown in you. You took it into your heart. You believed it may be truth to it. You acted upon it. And then therefore you found out later it didn't bear fruit because it wasn't a word that was of truth. Other thing I want you to see here is if, it, if it's no big deal, then why did Satan come to immediately steal it? We don't even think about the spiritual dynamic. When you come to church on a, any Sunday or Wednesday and you hear the word preached to you, you don't really think about it. As soon as you walk out those doors, the devil is going to try to do everything he can to immediately steal it out of your heart. A lot of times we just go and he steals it and we don't even realize it. Right? We just don't even realize it. You came into church, he gave you a word about peace. You grabbed it in your heart. You said, Oh my God, I got peace. I love it. This is great. And then the devil slowly over a week steals your peace. And then you find yourself needing to go back to church again because you've got to get another word because you lost your peace. What happened? The devil stole it. How'd he steal it? Through words. He stole it right out of your heart through sowing seeds of doubt and unbelief in you. If it's been sown into your heart that God uses sickness to teach you a lesson, you're going to have a hard time believing God's going to heal you just because you ask him if the doubt inside of you is saying, oh, but God may have been using this. I've heard so many testimonies, and look, you can get mad at me, and you, can, you want to throw down and argue with me, but this is one time you're not going to win because I know I'm right. I'm sorry. It's sealed in my heart. I know it. You can't throw enough things at me to get me to ever believe that my God is going to do something to me that's going to hurt me. And I've heard so many people say, yeah, you know, I had a car wreck and I broke my leg and I was in the hospital. And while I was, you know, and I turned to God and was seeking him through that and, 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 and I got saved. And so I know God caused that car wreck to happen so that I got saved. No, 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 no. You live in a fallen world. You live in a place where, where, where accidents happen. You, through the accident, you turned and sought God and he was there for you to deliver you. God didn't, God, yes, God jumped on the opportunity because your heart was turned towards him. 
but he didn't cause you to have an accident. He's not going to go break your leg to try to teach you something so you can turn to him. He just is not going to do that. That is not my God. My Bible says that every good and perfect thing comes down from heaven above. And he is never going to use sickness when it says he will not tempt you with evil. He isn't going to do that. He isn't going to call, Old Testament isn't going to call sickness evil or sinful or part of the curse and then turn around he's going to use that. God and the devil are not working in, co in cahoots. Still love me? I'm just preaching good. Preaching truth. All right? The devil wants to steal the seed in your heart immediately. He's going to try to do it however he can. Well-meaning people. Sometimes they'll tell you things that are totally and completely wrong. But all of us in here, at some time of your life, have prayed and asked God to heal you, and you didn't see a result. So therefore, there is a part of seed of doubt in you. And that's what we got to get out of all of us. Of all of us. We've got to get that out of us. Just like I said, why did I stand there for 18 years with a perfectly good working drill press that I never took time to figure out why it was broke? And the reason why, I didn't know how. I'd never done it before. I didn't know. I've never tore a drill press. I've never taken a motor apart. Never did it. It wasn't in my knowledge to do it. I figured I was just going to tear it up, break it, and I couldn't get it fixed. Okay? And we're sitting around with our Bible full of the promises of healing in here. We're full of Jesus, our example, walking down the streets of Nazareth, healing or, or all the streets, healing people, seeing everything going, going, multitudes coming to him, being healed, all these things taking place. Yet the church world wants to not look at it. While the world is sick and needs to be healed. Right? And all of you know, no one is immune from sickness. Doesn't make any difference where you live. Money doesn't make any difference. Status. What you've accomplished in life, sickness just comes up wherever sickness comes. Right? Okay. But if we get planted within our hearts and growing the seed of God's word, to know what his promises are and begin to push all doubt and unbelief out of us, then we can walk in divine healing. Over the years of talking to people and counseling people, especially like married couples and things like that, you know, I find two things that come up a lot. One is they can't forgive the other one. Somebody did something and they don't want to forgive them, Okay. And then the other one is that they, one of them did something and they can't forgive themselves for doing it. Either way, it's unforgiveness, right? So therefore, they, I can sit there and tell them all day long, listen, I want to tell you something. God said in his word that if you'll repent and confess your sins, that he'll forgive you. Well, I know, but I just don't see how. So you just tell me God's word doesn't work? You just tell me you, you, you committed the big one that nobody could, could not be forgiven? No, it's the doubt within your own mind and your own heart that says, I wouldn't, if I was God, I wouldn't forgive me. Right? I have to suffer because of what I've done. Well, wait a minute, that's not, that's not what the Bible says. That's what you've come up with. That's what you've planted in your own, your own heart that is, comes up and says that's what truth is. 
But you're wrong. And the only way to do it is to kill that doubt out with the truth of God's word. So what we have to do is be seed sowers. Our whole job in life is to be seed sowers into our life and into our heart. To know what the truth of God's word is and get it in us in such a way that that's what comes up first. So then if you've been sowing seed in your heart, but you're just not seeing results yet, well then, you know, you may have to go back because you may need the dirt dauber nest blowed out your, what was that thing called? Centrifugal switch. Your centrifugal switch may be stuck. And you didn't know it. And you need the Holy Ghost to breathe and blow through that thing and blow the soot out of your centrifugal switch. Now, see what's funny about that. Now, here you go again. I took that whole motor part. There's a lot of wires in a motor. I didn't know what any of them were. I mean, I knew the simple simplicity of it, that there was the coil and that hoodie spinning in there, but I don't know what the hoodie is, and I don't know what all that other stuff is. Are y'all with me? I didn't go to electrical school. I don't know anything about a motor, but I, just, I knew that, you know, just this like vague little tidbit of information, you know, and I was just looking at the thing, how they're all wired together and hooked into here and there, and, you know, and I was looking to see if any wires were broke or anything like that, and everything looked pretty good, and there's all kinds of little... I don't know what they are, capacitors or some kind of something's in there floating around. I don't know what they are. Didn't care once it worked. (laughs) You with me? But now what I'm saying to you is I could go deeper into the knowledge of how does that drill press work if I wanted to go study the motor and figure out all that that part too. Oh, and then the other thing was that then I went to get the chuck in, I mean the the bit in, and the, 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 the drill head was seized up, so I couldn't open it to get the bit in. But I said, hey, man, I got some WD-40 in the pipe wrench. Boy, I'll get that, baby. I know how to fix this, you know? And sure enough, I got it. And then, oh, and then I, I began to look because I remember at some time, this is good, this is good, this is, ooh, this is good. I remember at some time in the 18 years of owning that thing that I had the chuck, you know, the, the key, and I couldn't find it. And I knew I had it, but I couldn't find it. It's lost. It's lost somewhere in the, the shop, right? And so I got a pair of ice grips and a pipe wrench, and I put the, the drill bit in there and tightened it up like that, which does work, but that's not the way to do it. So how many of us in our life are using the pipe wrench and the vice grips when there's this key that you need to tighten the bit in there properly? You see what I'm saying? But you threw it away because you didn't know where it went to or you thought it was to that broke piece of thing over there you didn't really need, right? And so you've been going along in life, and yeah, I mean, I can go on from now till forever with my pipe wrench and my vice grips, and I can get a bit in that baby. You with me? I can do it. It'll work. I'll make it work. Or I could just buy a key. I doubt I'm going to find the other one. So my other option is just buy one. And I already went online and looked. They sell them, so no big deal, you know? But you see what I'm saying? How, how we do things in life that are hard when there's an easier way. And so my point is, are we struggling with things in life that we, we really just need to find the key? We need the Holy Ghost to show us the key. That's what we need. 
And maybe we're looking in the wrong place. And then maybe you're like me who looks and can't find anything. I mean, I can guarantee you, it's easier for me to go buy a new one than it is to me to try to find it. Because I, I can't see that thing anywhere. Can I have an amen from my wife? <laughs> Between her and I, I, she says, did you get that? Did you find that? And I said, I looked. And she says, well, that, we know that means nothing. We know that means nothing. Come in here. Let me look. I said, no. It's, she did it to me the other day. She, now she mocks me. <laughs> she mocks me. She said, uh, if we remove, just move this. That was yesterday. Well, years ago, I bought, I was in an antique store, took her to the antique store because I knew she wanted to go look, and I was going through there, and I found a little oil can, you know, like the old ones that you pump on the bottom, you know, the oil can? And I said, hey, I need that oil can because I can put oil on my drill bit and all, you know, and oil up that thing, you know, I need that little oil can. I wonder where I left that little oil can. So it's in my office on my desk, and so I look, and so I look like this. That thing's gone. And she says, if you just move this, there it is. It's like, oh. <laughs> so anywho, these are the things I want us to do this whole time. This is not a one time. This is tonight's service, I'm telling you, is not, you know, I'm going to slap oil on you and you're going to be instantly healed. <laughs> what I'm saying to you is we're going to start driving some stuff out of our lives. And I'll take you group of people to hell with me any day with water pistols and we'll defeat the devil because there's enough faith right in here and all y'all to stand up to grab hold of revelational truth to begin to walk in the things of God and to see divine healing in operation now I'm going to get in at some point to you know miracles because you know, like I said, I saw those miracles took place. I've seen miracles everywhere on the foreign field I've ever been. I've seen legs grow out. I've seen backs pop and be instantly healed. I've seen all kinds of things take place in the foreign field. <clears throat> and I believe, and we'll tear this out through the Word and look at it, I believe, you know, some people, they are just gifted to walk in miracles in certain areas. But I never have seen a person that has all, all giftings. In other words, I've seen some people that can really pray for whatever. Blind eyes. Some people could pray for this. Some people they have and see some. So we don't know what's in y'all. I was in Chile, and I heard distinctly the Holy Spirit tell me to call for people that have their death in their right ear. Thought that was odd. Five people came forward. And I said, okay. Five deaf right-eared people, okay? So I started to pray. And I prayed. Prayed over the first one. Prayed over the second one. Prayed over the third one. Stop. Went back to the first one. I said, can you hear? Went over to the right ear. Spoke in the right ear. They freaked out. I can hear. I can hear. Went to the next one. I can hear. I can hear. Went to the next one. I can hear. I can hear. Went to the next one. I can hear. I can hear. Went to the next one. Can you hear? No. Well, why is there four healed and the fifth one wasn't? So I asked a person. I said, are you deaf in your right ear? 
no, my left. I said, seriously? Yeah, I can hear in my right ear. I said, well, why'd you say you couldn't hear? Well, I'm listening to you. I can overhear, you know, I could hear in this ear. I could hear you speaking in my right ear, but I, yeah, I could still hear over here in my left ear is deaf. So I said, hmm, isn't that weird? Why did four right-eared people get healed and the left-eared person didn't get healed? So I stopped. I stopped right there. I said, I want to, I, so I just said, I said, hold on, let's hold on, hold the service for a minute. So I just went over there and said, Lord, what in the world's going on? He said, I was doing a miracle for right-eared deaf people. Just go pray for the other guy. Just use your faith and pray for him. I said, okay. So I went over to the field. I said, I'm just going to pray for you now. And I just sort of came. I said, Father, I say, thank you right now in the name of Jesus for healing this man's ear. I just prayed over him like I would have prayed for anybody on any day. And his ear popped open. But he didn't get healed in the line when the miracles were taking place. I don't know. I mean, I have no explanation for it. Okay? Some of those things are just what God is doing and God's doing it and there ain't nothing you're going to do about it. But the fifth man was healed by the prayer of faith. Okay? James 5.14 says, Call for the elders of the church, have anointed with all the prayer of faith to save sick. All right? So my point is, there's two different lines. There's divine healing under the redemption of Christ and there's miracles through the gifts of the Spirit. We have to distinguish those two. One night, when I was living here in Utopia, uh, I wasn't the pastor of the church yet, and I got the flu, and I was sick. I was at home sick, Sunday night. Couldn't do youth service. I was laying on the couch. Man, I was hurting, flipping around through the channels. In those days, <laughs> we, had a, we had one of those old dish, big dish deals, antenna deals. You know, you had to get on the satellite. And so I was too sick to go outside and change it. And so just whatever came on television, and Benny Hinn comes on. Now, I never did like Benny Hinn, to be honest with you. I thought he was too flamboyant. I thought he was too, you know, whatever. Me and my pers didn't, just personalities didn't really like him, okay? He's on there. He's talking about this all of a sudden. He says, if you're there and you're sick, and you're laying there on the couch and you're sick. And I'm like, okay, I'm laying on the couch and I'm sick. He said, just stretch your hand out towards the TV right now, and I'm going to pray for you. So I stretched my hand out towards the TV, instantaneously I got healed. By the time the family got home, I was all up. I'm, I'm healed. I mean, I, I can't explain it. I mean, you know, there's, the Holy Ghost did not tell me, go out there and crank the deal to this and whatever like that. I, wasn't, I was sick. I wasn't in faith. I was hurting. So there is miracles. I can't tell you when they're going to come. I believe we're going to see more and more on a regular basis in church, and my prayer is that no one has to lay hands on anybody. They're just healed. Okay? I don't, well, I can't say that. I'll do whatever Jesus says, but that's just what I'd like to see. Are you with me? So, so what has to take place here, goodness gracious, look at the time. Okay. So what your lesson is, Here's your lesson, all right? You need to go home and you need to read Mark chapter 4. You can also find it over in Luke chapter 8. You need to go back and you need to sit down there and you need to think and you need to start doing an evaluation of how much faith seed you have outweighing doubt seed. 
All right? And you may say, well, I, you know, I don't know if I have any doubt. Well, then just start asking yourself the questions. What do you believe or not? See, you'll ask people, do you believe, do you believe God heals? And people will say, well, he's God. He can do anything he wants to. Okay, but do you believe God will heal you? And then all of a sudden you get this, well, you know, uh, well, he could. See, there's already an element of doubt in that. We've got to come to the place where we can say, no, I can boldly stand in the throne room of grace, stand before the God who created me and say, Father, this body you gave me, it broke. And I'm standing here in the grace of God and I'm asking you right now, I'm wanting to receive my healing just like I receive forgiveness of sin. I'm coming to you. You are my healer. You are the one who heals my body. When you made me, you made a good thing. So, Lord, I just declare I am healed in Jesus' name. All right? And then what we usually do is instantly look to see if we have any symptoms. And then the moment we look to see if we have any symptoms, we say, oh, I've still got symptoms. But how many of you know that you've asked God for forgiveness and you know God forgave you and then there's a little period of time that takes place before you actually start walking out your forgiveness? And then you may have forgiven yourself and you may have gone through forgiveness, but then you definitely don't want to tell anybody because then somebody might think ill of you. Well, what's that? I've had people come to me before and say that I should never in my testimony say that I would contemplated suicide because that shows a weakness in my character. I've had them say that to me because they believe that with all their heart that that shows weakness. I've had people come to me and say, you should never tell anybody that you used to drink. And I said, I got no problems with drinking. I got problems getting drunk. That's what I did. I got drunk and then fought. <laughs> but they don't want to say that because see, it's embarrassing but folks, listen to me. If I'm forgiven and I'm redeemed and it's all under the blood and he's washed my sins away and that's no longer the man who I am. It's like when I had my 40th uh, class reunion and, and, and they all looked at me and said, what happened to you? How could you be a preacher? Oh, that was even new. You became a preacher? What happened? I mean, they were serious. What happened? you get struck by lightning or something? How could you have become a preacher? Listen, man, Jesus saved me, changed my life, changed everything about me. And I'm not going to be ashamed of my past. My past is my past, all under the blood. Hello? But if it bothers you, well, then what a minute, that may be a place of doubt and unbelief. That's something you got to root out. you got to let the Holy Ghost get you to the one place to the next and get some things out of you. That's what freedom prayer is all about. That's why I love the whole process of freedom prayer, because you can go sit in the place of freedom prayer and in the presence of God, and God can speak to you these things and help you get those things free. Because we don't realize that we're bound by something. And just about the time I think I'm doing pretty good, then something crops up. And I'm like, what? I can't believe that. It's in me. I've had that thought. Or... That's causing me you know, issue or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, folks, we're not ever going to get totally, completely, 100% squeaky clean till you die and go to heaven. You know? God, we've got, God, it's a learning process through everything we ever are doing. Right? Like I'm having to come over the, 
over the hump that I used to be the young person in church. <laughs> and now I'm looking in the mirror saying, holy moly. I told my wife the other day, I'm just going to, listen, we're taking out of our language and we're complaining or trying to figure out why we we're sore somewhere. Why something sore? Why am I sore? I said, I could just be putting my pants on in the morning or stretch something. You know? We're just not going to talk about it anymore, okay? It's not going to be our morning discussions. We're not going to go in there and say, oh, God. We're going to get up every morning and say, man, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed everywhere I go. I'm going to live out all the days of my life in total and complete fulfillment of what God created me to be. I'll leave my, draw my last breath when Jesus says it's time for me to draw my last breath. Ain't nothing can kill me. Right? And start weeding out doubt and unbelief in your life. So go through this thing. Go through Mark 4. Go start looking in this. Start tearing it apart. Looking and asking yourself that question. Where is their doubt and unbelief in my life? And if somebody has sowed it in, you will forgive them. Okay, maybe you sat under a bad preacher for a long time. Just forgive him. Just let him, just let God deal with him and go on from there. Amen? And, and, and we, we, we've got to. We've got to find it. We've got to dig it out. We've got to root it out. We cannot grow a good harvest in our hearts if there's doubt and unbelief. Because we're growing two, two crops. And have you all ever noticed, you don't have to fertilize cuckoo I mean, there is nothing to, if you're going to have a cuckleberry farm, you ain't got to do nothing. And you can grow some big ones. And you don't have to go call the co-op and get you a fertilizer spreader and go out there and spread that stuff. Weeds grow. So, you know what I'm saying? The cuckleberries, they don't take a whole lot of nourishment, nutrients to grow. And so the doubt and unbelief in your heart, it doesn't take a whole lot. We live in a fallen world, man. We live in a crazy, crazy, crazy place. There is doubt and unbelief hitting you all the time from every angle in the world, challenging you on your belief system and, and, and what's going on. It's always there. So, cuckabers will grow. Now, the other thing I need y'all to have patience with me, you're going to hear some, you're, I'm not going to teach on Sunday mornings all about what I'm going to go to with in this, on Wednesday nights on healing. But you're going to hear a lot more about seed sowing because I've got to, I know that the Holy Ghost has really challenged me for 2020 to, to help the church rid themselves of doubt and unbelief, okay? But we're going to keep digging. 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 Then we're going to get to where we're starting to pray for everybody. We're going to start to see things happen, amen? But I know it was actually in this book by Bosworth. He said this, and I thought, wow. You know, sometimes I'm, I, I am, I guess I'm too big of a chicken. <clears throat> I'll tell you two quick things. Because in, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't ever want to hurt anybody's feelings. Okay? And so when John G. Lake used to pray for people, he had his wife come first. And the people had to go talk to his wife first. Because she had the ability of the gift of discerning of spirits in her that operated at all times. And so she would come to somebody and she would say, your heart's not right. You're full of sin. You, 
you know, committed adultery last night or whatever. And you go outside and repent, and you come back, and then he'll pray for you. And she wouldn't let them ever get to him until they had purified their hearts. When they came to him, he had the gift of healing. He'd lay hands on them. They'd be instantly healed. But they didn't get past her. Bosworth said that people used to come. <laughs> people would come up for prayer, and he would look at them and say, uh, go back and sit down in your seat. When you get the doubt and unbelief out of your heart, come back up, and I'll pray for you. I mean, I'd think I'd get slapped around here if I did that. <laughs> Draw it on. What would you say? So this is why we're doing it this way. Okay? Because we've got to come to that place. Listen, do you know that the Bible says that confess your faults one to another and you'll be healed? Now think about that principle. In other words... The forgiveness of sin and, the, again, healing are the, exactly the same. So if you confess your faults to one another, so that means we're supposed to sin. But how, if I just told you right now, okay, let's just break up, get in groups of three and confess your faults to one another. How's that going to go over? Oh, everything's fine. Oh, it's fine. Well, I snore. Right? And so what we're going to have to do is we're going to, have to work this out as a group till we get to that place, maybe next week, maybe the week after, that we start laying hands on people and praying for people and seeing miracles take place. But we've got to get it to a, a, a room full of faith here. And when we get to a room full of faith and agreement, well, if he wouldn't, he shouldn't have got everybody up there at one time, you know, and Laura should have played a different song. That kills the anointing. But I want to tell you all this. I, I, I honestly mean this. Laura and I have talked about this so much. I honestly mean this with all of my heart. This is one of the greatest churches on the face of the earth. And y'all are some of the greatest people on the face of the earth. And I am so glad that we don't have to put up with what other pastors put up with and things that go on. It is just, it's just not right. But we're so blessed. And that's why I know God's about to do something here because y'all are good people. And you have good hearts. And you want to see God move. And you want to see God's blessing upon people. And we're going to. Do you know that in Lake, when, when John Lake started the, the healing school, it was almost 100% run by volunteers, people that were in the church. They're the ones laying hands on people and getting, everybody was getting healed and everything's taking place. It was almost 100%. Lake prayed for very few people because he'd trained up the people and taught them, and they were out doing all the work. And that's you. That's you. Amen? So, do the homework. Start working on doubt and unbelief. And then we're going to go from there. Amen? So look at the person beside you and say, man, that was good. So, praise the Lord. Encourage people to come. Because, I, I mean, like, I'm, I, didn't even, I didn't even get started tonight of what I know God wants to do and where we're going to go in and dig into all this. I don't know. Like I said, I got books coming. And, and uh, honestly, honestly, let me see. 
I have had this book for a month and a half now, reading it, and I'm on page 24. I've just started the second chapter, and I have guarantee you I have. It's not because the book's so good, it's because it says something here that spurred something in me that then starts off over here and goes over here. And those 24 pages, I have eight months of preaching right there. I don't know if I'll ever go past page 24. I don't know what the rest of the book says. I just know I made it to page 24, and I've got eight months of message that I just, it was just like the world, the, the world opened up to me, and I was just, <laughs> I got scribble notes and stuff written down. I hadn't even, I hadn't even put it in my, my iPad yet and, and, and put it just unbelievable of what I see. And so I just encourage you, you know, it's good. It's, it's going to be some good stuff. Amen? Amen. Well, praise God. Hello, this is Robert Richards, and you're listening to The Waterhole, our weekly broadcast, which is now available on iTunes and all major podcast platforms. You can also watch the weekly video broadcast on our YouTube channel. Link's in the description. I pray this has been a blessing to you, and if you've enjoyed this message, please share this with a friend. God bless you, and remember, no matter where you are and what you've done, Jesus loves you.